Like if you would have told me what has unfolded in the last week or so, if you would have told me that just a year or two ago, I wouldn't have believed you just in the slightest. And <laughs> now everything seems to be happening kind of at once. Like I am, that's to be expected from an exponential technology, but still riding this huge wave is just um, insanely exhilarating and, and very surreal at the same time. Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys, instant buys, and with Swan Private, buys up to $100 million. I'm your host, Brady Swenson, head of education at Swan. Swan Signal Live pairs great guests for compelling discussions about Bitcoin and economics. In this one, podcaster John Vallis, host of the Bitcoin Rapid Fire Podcast, and Gigi, senior engineer at Swan Bitcoin and author of 21 Lessons. Join us. Glad you found your way here. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Swan Signal Live. This is episode 53. I'm here with John Vallis and Mr. Gigi. Uh, we are going to dive into this one very soon. I'm super excited about it. Uh, first, let's check in with Swan. Swan, of course, is the best way to accumulate Bitcoin in the United States. We make it super easy for you with automatic recurring buys, with instant buys, with wires, uh, GigaChad level wires up to $100 million purchases. Uh, we have Swan Private uh, for the aforementioned GigaChads out there, but actually small, medium, large business, anybody who's looking to stack over $100,000 in Bitcoin uh, in a year uh, can avail themselves of Swan Private. Uh, at swanbitcoin.com slash private. Uh, we will take you through the process of getting your corporation or trust or uh, whatever entity you're looking at onboarding and, and stacking sats with, nonprofits, uh, corporations, of course. And uh, it's been a great, I mean, we have a flood of demand coming in. It's very bullish for Bitcoin, very bullish for Swan. Uh, we've got a great squad on the Swan private team. Uh, bringing in a bunch of new uh, new businesses uh, into the Bitcoin world. Uh, we're seeing it all over the place. Uh, Michael Saylor kicked it off last August, and it's just ramping up. Uh, and, and this year, I think, I mean, we're going to see so much more of that happening uh, faster and faster in the coming months. Uh, it's an extremely exciting time to be in Bitcoin and, and behind the scenes watching this demand uh, come in uh, through uh, for businesses and high net worth individuals, trust accounts, et cetera. So go to Swan Private, swanbitcoin.com slash private to check that out. And of course we have our auto stacking service uh, and you can buy as little as uh, 10 bucks a month uh, to get started. Uh, we will help you stack sats. Uh, once you get a little skin in the game, you can check out our YouTube channel, our podcasts, our blog. Uh, we're on Clubhouse all the time, uh, distributing education. Our marketing efforts are basically educational efforts here to teach you about what's going on here. Uh, it is something that is not hard to understand uh, in concept, but it is hard to wrap your mind around it only because we are brainwashed about what money is. Uh, and that is not, that is not what money is. Uh, Bitcoin's teaching us what money really is. So the concept of, of actual money and what money really is, is fairly simple, but it takes uh, some effort to uh, get work around our cognitive dissonance about what money really is. So Swan is here to help you on that journey uh, to learn about what Bitcoin is and to accumulate for yourself to help you own your future. 
That's what Bitcoin allows you to do is to own your future. It gives everybody a stake in a future that we will be discussing today with two very deep thinkers about uh, this money, about uh, the philosophy, the implications, social implications of this money and uh, the future world that uh, could be possible uh, in a Bitcoin-based society. So let's bring in John Vallis and Gigi. Hello, hello. Hello, gents. Hey, really, buddy. really great. Really great to see you guys. Uh, always good to, to hang out and have a conversation. Um, I'm particularly excited about, about this one because you guys have been doing some work uh, on behalf of Bitcoin. Uh, recently, John, on your podcast, you do these great uh, Bitcoin book clubs. And recently, you hosted one uh, where you studied and discussed Maps of Meaning, a book by Jordan Peterson. And um, it's it was a fascinating discussion. I had not read the book. And so uh, I really enjoyed being exposed to the ideas uh, from, you know, four great Bitcoiners such as yourselves. It was the two of you, Robert Breedlove and Richard James. Is that right, Richie? Yep. Yeah. Um, so that was fantastic. And uh, let's, I'd just love to hear, you know, your summary of like why maps of meaning applies to Bitcoin and then talk about getting Jordan Peterson's like, just give us the, you know, three minute summary, brief, your, your, brief, your yeah. three, your three hour conversation <laughs> and we'll send everybody else over there to really get deep on it. But I just want to, you know, for folks who haven't read the book, um, just kind of an idea about what we're talking about here to set the scene. And then you got Jordan Peterson's attention. Uh, and I want to hear about what that was like uh, as a personal experience for you guys. Sure. Well, first, it's always great to jam with you guys. And as I sit here, I'm just thinking, man, it's been way too long, you know, to have us all together, because <clears throat> I guess everyone's been super busy, and we don't get to put it together enough. Um, yeah, the so I've always been a fan of Jordan Peterson, I really like, um, have enjoyed his lectures. And when he rose to prominence, I, you know, followed his career, like many of us have. And uh, I knew once I come to, under, to be familiar with him, I knew that he'd written this book in, in 1998 called Maps of Meaning. And it was this really thick book, 460 pages, and I knew it was going to be dense. Um, but based on how much I appreciated and respected his thought for everything else about him that I've consumed, you know, I knew it was something I would have to tackle, but I put it off because it was such a big, um, I knew it would be a big effort. In any case, Rob Breedlove, um, he said to me that, you know, like you, you stop putting it off, basically, you've got to uh, get into it. So I did. And soon as I finished, I, I just said, you know, this is a book that has to be discussed in the context of Bitcoin. And boy, summarizing why that is, is, is going to be a bit tough, but just maybe the, the easiest way to put it is Peterson attempts to lay out a framework for effectively and i know this is a an ambitious claim or, or this is in a, kind of broad but the structure of reality at least in so far as human beings experience it um and he broadly defines that dance let's say as that between order and chaos defined at every level of analysis basically that's the dynamic that is nestled within you know, all experience mediated by individual human consciousness. And by like, I'm going to butcher, I'm, I'm, I'm going over a lot here. So forgive me if, if there's any Petersonites or Maps of Meanings fans out there. Um, 
And, you know, he, he looks at a lot of this through the religious stories or through myths of, of in various societies throughout the ages. And basically what he uses that framework to interpret those myths and then showcase how those myths are actually speaking to that broader framework or structure. And he goes into great detail, both from a psychological, a biological, um, a philosophical lens to tease out why it is these stories developed as they did, predicated on that broader structure that he, um, you know, that he'd been in, uh, analyzing and showing it on every level of ana analysis. So um, one of the, the primary themes that comes from that is that, you know, we, we have these archetypal stories that represent kind of the, the maximal expression of these dynamics. And that's what an archetype is. Um, and he spends a lot of time and through his lectures in, the, in his podcast as well and on YouTube, looking at the biblical stories and trying to extract meaning or interpretation from them. And soon as I finished the book, I thought, you know, and I'm pretty much obsessed with what Bitcoin means for individual change. You know, like I, I enjoy being aware of the, the macro and the economic and the financial and the technological side of things. And I think it's important to, to be up to date with all that. But for me, the whole story here is how individual sovereignty and freedom, once people take it, affects those people. Like, how do they start reorienting how they view the world and how they view themselves and their ambitions and their relation to time and their relation to their work and their relation to other people and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the, the real story here. And I couldn't help but seeing that, seeing the possibility that Bitcoin represented kind of an archetype, an instantiation in our physical world that we can actually interact with of this broader dynamic of order and chaos and the thing that mediates the two in order to bring useful order to the realm of being. Um, and so uh, that's why I wanted to put the book club together to get some smart guys and people that have, have read the book and thought it was meaningful to get together and to discuss those ideas and see if they, what kind of parallels or what kind of insights they had extracted from reading the book and from being very deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole as well. And uh, I guess the outcome of the, the podcast was twofold. One, just a lot more questions and stuff that I, you know, you know, I, I've answered no questions and I've, I've created, you know, hundreds more. And that's, I've been digging into that and I've been trying to put, you know, pen to pad and do some writing about that, which I've, I've been finding interesting, but difficult. And I guess the, you know, the, the other piece was that Peterson took note of the podcast. I, I guess he saw, I tagged him on Twitter when I um, released it and he saw it. And I, I presume that he listened to it, which is amazing in itself because it's about two and a half hours long. Um, and he comment, you know, I think his first tweet was, um, this was a broad and serious discussion and he just, he tweeted it out. And then he tweeted at our boy Gigi here and said, uh, Gigi, maybe we should talk maybe, maybe with the whole group or something like that. And so, I mean, look, I, I, I got nothing but respect for the guy. I know he's been through a lot over the last year or two. Um, but this is, there's no bigger story than Bitcoin. I think we all agree on that. And I think it's stranger than we can suppose. And so sitting down with a mind like Peterson and getting him to put his incredibly depth, you know, incredibly deep understanding of the frameworks that he's been uh, exploring over the last 30, 40 years and grafting those onto Bitcoin. And, and, you know, some of us trying to 
prod and poke and help facilitate that exploration, I think would be like the the most awesome conversation ever. So, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how we'll see what plays out. But um, you know, it was so when, a, it was a great. You, great when, are you, when are you going to get when are you going to get on your on your pod, man? Is it well, we'll we well we'll see we'll see. You know, nothing uh, nothing nailed down, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'll be epic. GG, tell us about your experience seeing that Jordan Peterson was requesting an audience with you. And just in general, the idea that we have these big thinkers, you know, in other spaces of, uh, of academics and just thought in general, uh, these thought leaders, for lack of a better phrase, um, that are coming to Bitcoiners, you know, humble. Uh, plebs uh, who have been just you know fortunate enough to fall down the rabbit hole before most of the world and study this thing closely and being asked to be taught about what's going on here it's kind of a surreal experience yeah it's it's very surreal like surreal is the perfect well, uh, word for that um i <laughs> when when you started um speaking to us you mentioned that we did a lot of work in the last couple of weeks and stuff like that. And I, I was immediately reminded um, by something that Peterson says as well, uh, that you must not confu confuse yourself for the wave that you are riding. So we didn't do anything special in particular, you know, like I've, I, I read the book twice, Maps of Meaning, and it was a long while ago. And on the way, my, I said yes to John to his invitation to join the book club. And, you know, of course, in hindsight, I'm very glad I did, but I didn't think too much of it. And yeah, the next day, um, <laughs> everything kind of changed. My phone, of course, blew up and um, <laughs> I soon realized why. And it's, it's a very humbling experience that um, yeah, people that you look up to and great thinkers uh, begin to discover Bitcoin as well. You know, like Bitcoin is spreading and spreading and rising and rising and more people will have to pay attention to this strange phenomenon. And as you said, you know, like all of us, we are incredibly lucky to be that early. Like for one reason or another, we came into contact with Bitcoin and understood the consequences that, that it brings and, and also what it represents earlier than some other people like er earlier than most you know like um bitcoin adoption is still in the in the western world around like slightly below 10 percent, i would say and just <laughs> glo global adoption of a bitcoin standard is is just laughable you know like uh, almost nobody is in on a bitcoin standard yet um neither individuals nor companies so we're insanely early like if you yourself think in bitcoin and are adopting a bitcoin standard you're you're just incredibly early. So yeah, it's a very humbling experience. And uh, I'm not sure what to make of it yet. You know, like if you would have told me what has unfolded in the last week or so, if you would have told me that just a year or two ago, I wouldn't have believed you just in the slightest. And <laughs> now everything seems to be happening kind of at once. Like I am, um, that's to be expected from an exponential technology, but still riding this huge wave is just, um, insanely exhilarating and, and very surreal at the same time. So yeah, thanks again, John, for inviting me <laughs> to the book club. And yeah, uh, we'll see what, what comes of it. Um, obviously, Peterson is still very interested. He, he tweeted again today that he really wants to do this. And I think it's just 
uh, we, we just have to be patient with the new entrants, so, so to speak, as well. Um, just like we have to be pa patient with the likes of Lex Friedman and Eric Weinstein. I think um, your your intellect in other fields is not necessarily like it, it. It doesn't necessarily translate very well to Bitcoin per se, because I think you just have to be extremely open. And uh, as I've said before, I think you also have to be very like. Um, contrarian or very disagreeable um i think all bitcoiners that are currently like full-time in bitcoin or just just bitcoiners at heart and are uh, part of the cyber hornets if you will you, you kind of have to be disagreeable by nature and um i think um yeah a lot of smart people they they um they they, they have their troubles wrapping their head around it because they they think they understand it and i i'm uh, I know that Peterson is very, very open to new new ideas. So I would be surprised if he makes some of the default mistakes of, of going down the shitcoin rabbit hole, for example, or just not understanding it at all. And um, I'm currently also in the process of re-listening to some of his lectures. And he also knows a lot about economics and money and the, the functions of money and uh, what money represents in a society. So I'm very excited to watch all of this unfold. And yeah, I can't wait to talk to him. I, I, I hope it happens. <laughs> I want to hear more. What are his thoughts on money and economics? I mean, is it uh, more of a skewed toward a traditional Keynesian ideas or is it Austrian in nature, uh, kind of somewhere in the middle? Uh, is he a gold bug? Like, what's uh, what's his past uh, with with money? His understanding? No, no uh, not at all. Like, I and I don't necessarily mean it like that. The um, as as John laid out as well, Peterson's work it it all revolves around value and the concept of value, and that yep. what what you what you value as your highest ideal, more or less is religious by nature like if, if you if you construct a, a value hierarchy for for yourself and, and you have to do that because otherwise you can't act you have to move from a to b and and uh in the in the book club i think it was breedlove as well that, that mentioned this and mentioned the the old joke you know why did the chicken cross the road um because the other side was more valuable so so this is basically mm -hmm. the material that, that peterson provides and so he talks a lot of, uh, about value and um also a, a lot about delayed gratification and just the the fact that you can bargain with yourself um uh, is what it's what produces the idea about the future and also produces um, the idea that not consuming everything in this instance might be valuable for your future self. And so, so he, he knows all these concepts very, very well. And I think he understands them very, very deeply. And um, yeah, I, as I said, I'm, I'm currently um, sifting through his lectures on the high speed <laughs> and trying to parse out uh, the little um pieces and nuggets of wisdom that I, I might be able to throw back at him one day. <laughs> John, what do you think, like, how would you, uh, I guess, further pitch or explain Bitcoin to Jordan Peterson in this <laughs> podcast that will happen? So he comes on, you're introducing the show. Um, and he says, well, John, let's start off. Uh, just tell me about Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Man, well, first, you know, to echo what Gigi was just saying about his understanding of money, you know, Peterson, I think his strength and I, I think his natural default is to come at everything from the level of meaning, right? So he doesn't, and because he thinks, and I agree with him, that that's the most relevant 
framework or level of understanding. And now obviously they're not separate, right? You need to know some of the objective details of a thing to know what its meaning is, right? So like Bitcoin's a perfect example. You have to appreciate what Bitcoin is and what it does and where it fits in the context of monetary history or technology or whatever to appreciate what it actually represents, what its implications for action are, what its, what its meaning is. Um, and I think uh, two points. One, you know, Peterson appreciates the role that money has played um, in that regard. So to answer your question about like Austrian Keynesian, I don't think he sees it that way. He understands that it's the shared territory of trust that's required for, you know, to rely on the promises of others and as a result, coordinate activity. Um, so I think he gets that. And I, I think it'll be really interesting once he realized what some of the implications of Bitcoin are. And so I think, you know, what I've been trying to write and it is what is the meaning of Bitcoin? Um, and that's tough, man, because as we know, it means, you know, one, it means different things to different people. And two, it means a hell of a lot. Like if you go down every single tributary of the rabbit hole and you try to understand what this is all about, I mean, and, and that's that's actually why I wanted to do the Maps of Meaning book. And I, I posed a question to the guys at the end of the podcast um, and to further on, you know, the synopsis of the book. And, you know, we might as well just go there. And I'm not making a claim, but I'm saying this is an interesting correlation or an interesting comparison is that Peterson takes this character and it's an archetype. An archetype is the, is the, the most optimal or the best instantiation or example of a principle or of a dynamic. And so the Christ consciousness is like, this is the optimal uh, example of someone who mediates the primordial forces of order and chaos for both individual and collective well-being, like to the optimal extent. And that's why, you know, the Christ character has been held up and used in story and, and propagated as, as a basis for um, an example for people's lives. And, and again, I'm, 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 I'm leaving out a lot, but that's the, the gist of it. And so I pose the question, if, if money is the fundamental coordinating and ordering mechanism for human interaction, human economic interaction, and Bitcoin is the best instantiation of that, in, in, in delving into chaos and creating the most useful order. So the archetype of that process, how are we supposed to interpret that, right? Like, is it a type of, you know, uh, is it in the same category as that? And is it even in a more potentially useful or more practical or more ultimately meaningful capacity? Because it's not simply a story that we find truthful or meaningful that's helpful in orienting our lives should we choose to engage it but it's actually something quote unquote physical there that we can borrow or use or leverage and i'm not using those terms in the typical financial uh, nomenclature but to actually establish a lot of uh, to establish order in our own lives of of the best kind possible and then the real you know another aspect of that is if we agree that's the case, then what do we make of the different principles that that entity, i.e. the Bitcoin network, uh, basically espouses in order to do what it does? 
you know, it's, it's openness, it's verifiability, it's formidability, like all of these different attributes, how do we then interpret them? Because if we look at this archetypal structure or archetypal entity and say, well, it's doing the most important task that we as humans need, and it's doing it the best, and it's doing it through these different characteristics, how do, they, how do we then look at that thing and how are we then influenced by the uh, presence of those characteristics in that thing? And do we start to adopt them in ourselves for a similar purpose, but on a different scale or, or dynamic um, or in a different way? So that's a horrible answer to your question, but I, I would probably you know, crack open a conversation with Jordan about that, about the meaning of Bitcoin and about the power of archetypes and about the importance of money and try to jumble it all together and see where we get. I mean, the, the conversation, if it happens with Peterson, I'm hoping is not us telling him why Bitcoin is so special, but just having a conversation with him about what he thinks about it, what we think about it. And I'd love it if, you know, like all the conversations I have, if, if we broke new understanding for all of us, you know, I don't, I don't have much interest in just orange pilling Peterson and make, you know, ticking the box onto the next, you know, big famous person that we can get in the space. I want to have a conversation so I can, I can learn something. And he's such a wealth of knowledge on these subjects. I'm sure, you know, we could creep to his, as his understanding of Bitcoin creep forward. I'm sure he'd have a lot of really interesting insights that we would all love to hear and, and wrestle around with. So. Gigi, do you think that, well, what, what you will do, uh, cause that's going to happen. Uh, Gigi, what, um, <laughs> what values do you see embedded in Bitcoin? Not only like that Peterson might espouse, but just in general, like how do you interpret Bitcoin's, uh, fundamental or intrinsic values, um, like philosophical values, uh, you know, social values, like. Uh, obviously this thing is it's a network it's a, some software uh and it doesn't know about those it doesn't have a concept of those ideas right but the implications of the nature of bitcoin do have these uh these properties or these these um you know ramifications right on it has values there, there are values instilled there um so what how would you describe the values of bitcoin yeah, it's a it's a great question and it's not exactly easy to answer, but I think it relates a lot to the work that Jordan Peterson has been doing over the last 30 yeah. years. Uh, he talks a lot about the Logos, for example, and how it is paramount in Christianity. And what's interesting is that everything in Bitcoin is just speech. That's also why it's so incredibly hard to ban. You know, like the code is, uh, everything is just text. The code is text. The Bitcoin blocks are text. Transactions are text. Uh, if you sign something, it's just text. Your private key is just text. All the constituents of Bitcoin are just text. They're just speech. So so it's it's embodied logos, if you will. And it's not, it's not even easy to parse out what the body of Bitcoin it is. Of course, it has like a physical manifestation on the internet uh, with mining farms and, and all that and with full notes and so on and so forth. But in essence, it's just information and you only need, it's not even encrypted information, you know, like it's it's just clear text information that is sent, sent forth. It's just, a, it's a language and, and, and a protocol. And so what's interesting about Bitcoin is that, you know, um, it is a system that does not lie and just speaks the truth all the time. Every 10 minutes, every every new block that comes in, 
is a new bundle of truth. And the deeper down this block gets buried, the more truthful it becomes, the more sure you can be about this truth. And I think all these concepts, um, they, uh, I think Peterson would really like that, you know, like, <laughs> I don't think he has wrapped his head around Bitcoin um, f fully yet necessarily, because I, I think he, he would have talked about it uh, if that was the case. But all, all of these concepts can be found in Peterson's lectures and, and in his books. And what's, what's especially interesting, his rise to fame was his refusal to let others dictate what words he uses because by studying history he saw what the corruption of language can do to a, to a society and words in in a way are just abstractions of things so you point to something and you name something and and so you 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 kind of create a map of the real world by by using your words and what's interesting about money is that money is also an abstraction like money is the abstract idea of what society in total owes you and uh, you have this societal construct, uh, contract that you can give society money and you will get what you actually need in return, goods and services. And so the corruption of money is, is very similar to the corruption of language. It deteriorates society, like it destroys society if it becomes extreme enough. And all, all of these concepts are concepts that Peterson has already explored. Um, I, I just don't think that, that he sees the very, very deep connections to Bitcoin yet. And another one of the values that Bitcoin embodies is that everything is focused on the individual. You, you don't rely on the network necessarily to feed you any truth. You verify all of it yourself. So if, if like from the perspective of a full node, truth and everything that you need comes from within and comes from the sovereignty of the individual. And that's also something that Peterson talks about a lot. So um, he also talks about, for example, in a time of radical change and just societal change in general, I think that's what we are experiencing right now. We're experiencing exponential change in our society. Everything is changing all the time. It's very hard to keep up. And his answer to how to keep up with this change is um, to revert back to the individual. And that's exactly what Bitcoin does as well. So that's definitely one of the values that that Bitcoin embodies. And it, I mean, there's a reason why we talk about Bitcoin using the words that we use. We call it the truth machine. We call it the incorruptible substance. And uh, yeah, we, we, we call it all of that because there is a deep sense of truth with these concepts. That's actually how Bitcoin operates. And that's actually what Bitcoin does. And so, yeah, those those are definitely some of the values that Bitcoin embodies. But what, what makes it so interesting is that even the description of the values themselves are embodied in Bitcoin, which is why it's so insanely hard to change. You know, like the, the consensus rules are part of the network itself. Like the, the, the rules are part of network consensus. And so if you if you want to keep playing the Bitcoin game, you must not change these rules. This is why why we cannot have hard forks, so to speak. And yeah, all of that all of that is embodied in the Bitcoin network, but it's also really really hard to parse apart. I, I hope that was a, a some, <laughs> somewhat understandable answer to the question. It, it's a I mean well, it's a big question. You could go a lot of directions, John. Let's hear your take, man. Well, I just wanted to piggyback on one point, and I think it's a great point because the the core of Peterson's work is the sanctity and the sovereignty of the individual because that place you know call it the logos call it consciousness call it free will that 
is the only thing that can truly mediate those two primordial forces of order and chaos in order to bring back something beneficial, right? And to reestablish good and useful order. And so, you know, one of the, he, he said many times in his biblical lectures that it's almost like a miracle that somehow we've emerged, even with all the problems that we have in today's society, that there's almost still a presumed divinity in each individual. And on that presumption is predicated a lot of our legal institutions and everything else, like the presumption of innocence until pro proven guilty. And, um, and what could be more? And so this whole theme of individual sovereignty and freedom with Bitcoin, I mean, what could be more you know, what could jive better with the core thesis of a lot of Peterson's work than being able to take back that sovereignty in one of the most important realms that you have it, which is how you express yourself economically to the world and how you mediate and manage your relationship economically with other people and with yourself across the, uh, across time. And, you know, this is, I think, I'm not sure if I've heard Peterson characterize it this way before, but I think this will probably come up in any conversations with any Bitcoiners that he has is that that core piece of let's call it the logos where you where your free choice is what determines how much you go into that chaos and how much order you bring back. And that that eternal process is predicated on you having free will and being able to act on that. And of course, as we all know, the way the money has been perverted I think you could characterize it in a way by saying the let's say the the fidelity of the our will that it carries is highly diluted by the manner in which it's produced and controlled and and you know co-opted and corrupted in all the different ways that it currently is and bitcoin eliminates all of that and so it brings back your the fidelity of the signal of your will to the market right it allows sovereign individuals to express whatever it is they're expressing to the market without intermediation, without dilution, without, you know, you know, without being co-opted in any way. And I think Peterson will see the importance of that because if on an individual level, let's say without money and without material or whatever, that's kind of, that's the, the, the core of consciousness. That's the core of how we move forward in the world by, by balancing or mediating those primordial forces. I think he'll see the uniqueness that Bitcoin brings to permitting us to do that in the social realm, in the economic realm, in interaction with other people. And, um, you know, I think it slides right into the, to his thesis. And I, I think he'll be both interested and exciting at the prospect of that, excited at the prospect of that. Yeah, both of you were talking there about clarity of communication, about Bitcoin being in a language and uh, th the story of the Tower of Babel comes to mind uh, since, you know, we're kind of talking about biblical allegories, um, which is, uh, you know, Peterson has spent a lot of time taking a look at. And I think he would be uh, receptive to comparing Bitcoin to that allegory. So if we have um, all these different kinds of monies, it's speaking all the different kinds of languages, and we have to create this very inefficient foreign exchange markets. Uh, the price signals, like you said, uh, are not communicated correctly or, or accurately or clearly to the market itself. But if we have a universal language for value, uh, we can really unleash massive economic potential 
uh, for uh, of humanity. It's being suppressed at this point by the inability for us to communicate to one another accurately in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's worth pointing out though that the the um, bubble story is not necessarily a good one. So this is also what keeps sure. me up at night. That <laughs> if we uh, if we live through hyper Bitcoinization and everything is on a Bitcoin standard, standard if uh, if something turns out um, to be wrong with Bitcoin, uh, that's always a problem. You know, like th there is something to be said about multiple languages and also multiple monies and other things. Uh, the dogs are not on my side, are they? <laughs> no, that's that's Zeus. <laughs> that's on my side. It's always good when, when you're on a Bitcoin show to let your dogs bark and you know, just whatever. It's good. It's good opsec. <laughs> but you, you know, on that on that point, I think um, you know the the I think what he'll be interested in. I think what we're all interested in is that the world that we we all imagine this Bitcoin Renaissance as a result of it fixing a lot of these issues, but it's also like. Just having the world reflect and represent the genuine inputs, the genuine choices, the genuine will of all the different participants would be an amazing thing. Because then we, then the world that is, is the one that we should be contending with. And then we know how much our actions influence the world, right? And then yeah. we take greater responsibility for them. And then we feel more empowered and all that kind of stuff. But right now we have a world where I think a lot of people obviously subconsciously, they almost feel like this isn't the world that that like I made, you know, so that what the what the world and what the market is telling us is really more so the will of you know, the relatively small portion of people that are the co-opters of, of the money or the beneficiaries of the co-option of the money. It's not right. a genuine expression of who we all are and the choices we all make. So yep. beyond, the, you know, I'm on board for the Bitcoin renaissance, but I first want the world to be a genuine reflection of the emergent property of who we all are and all the choices we make. And then once it's that, and we say we can we can truthfully appraise where we're at. We can say, okay, that's us, right? And then we could say, how do we want to move forward from there? But right now we can't look out a world and say, that's us. That's a, a perversion of us because of the way that the money has been co-opted and, and the, the relative imbalance of the ability to express commensurate will by a, you know a, a certain cohort or a certain group of people at the expense of robbing that ability from most other people and so yeah, yeah. we we have to have a a, a a truthful appraisal of where we are before we can determine where we want to go and that that actually falls pretty much in line with peterson's self-authoring stuff which is a, a a far more pragmatic approach to looking at the, the, let's say, the course of your life and where you might want to go. And, and of course, a very important part of that is, where are you? What's the right. lay of the land right now? And how do you want to move forward from there? So that's what I think Bitcoin will deliver. It's it, it, a world that genuinely reflects all of our choices and all of our will. And we'll, we'll, that'll be empowering, but it'll also be you know sobering because I think we'll have to take more responsibility for it. There's been a a huge abdication of responsibility as a result of the money system that we're currently in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Gigi. Yeah, and then I'm going to come absolutely. back to a point you made earlier. But yeah, let's let's uh, go ahead. Let's get your Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, okay. I just wanted to say that I think 
we will continue to see what we have seen uh, with Wall Street bets, for example. Like what John, John pointed out is that the individuals actually are not in control. And it's not only the, the money itself that was co-opted and is now centrally controlled. And I think um, uh, to, to stay on topic, like this is something that Peterson understands very, very well, that uh, centralized control corrupts and just large entities and large institutions tend to, uh, once, you, you, once you have this order established, it, it tends to corrupt. And, and we saw that uh, when Wall Street bets tried to do the short squeeze on, on GameStop and, and other stocks and just the powers that be, the, the centralized authorities, so to speak, stepped in and, and stopped the whole game. And um, yeah, with, with Bitcoin, this just isn't possible. And I think what Matt Adele and, and others uh, popularized uh, un under the hashtag SatSqueeze uh, is what we will continue to see happen if Bitcoin just survives, you know, like it's uh, Bitcoin is basically a, a, a squeeze on the fiat monetary system. And I think we, we are living through the SatSqueeze right now. So I, it's, I, I'm just I'm just mentioning that because the the whole reversion to the individual I think is is something that plays in that nicely because once you once you understand that you are in control of your own money and nobody can stop the transactions you're about to do then those things they not only become possible they kind of become inevitable because it will be obvious to more and more people what the winning moves of this play are. And we see this now even in the corporate world, you know, like with taking out loans to buy more Bitcoin and just speculating on the continued appreciation on Bitcoin and uh, buying back the loans, um, paying off the loans very cheaply in, in a very cheap way in the future. And uh, I also want to look back to what you said about um, the language and the language we use and, and how money is a language as well and how this language is corrupt. It's, it's actually something that... Um, Eric Weinstein pointed out, out, out as well, and I'm <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to to uh, continue these conversations with non Bitcoiners because it's very difficult to find the right words for all these concepts, and everyone with their different backgrounds has a different set of vocabularies, and you you just have to yeah you you to talk to Bitcoiners in a meaningful way. I think you have to at least make an effort to try to learn some of the vocabulary that we use here, you know, like what is hyper-Bitcoinization, for example, what kind of concept um, is behind this word. And I experienced this myself when I learned about Bitcoin and I still experience it, how difficult it is to, to get fluent in all the different languages that you need to learn, you know, like if you, if you, dig into financial markets. When I started out, I didn't know what a short was or a long was or a bull or a bear market is. And, and now I know, and I, I'm still learning about future markets and the concepts like accordation and uh, what it means for a market to be in contango, for example, what rehypothecation is and a dozen of other concepts. And I'd be, I'd be very interested to, to talk to Peterson and Eric Weinstein just for that alone to find a more easily digestible um, common language to talk about Bitcoin in a, in a non-Bitcoin world, so to speak, because I think it will be more and more important as time goes on. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think you're right there is we're, we're bringing in people. Well, Bitcoiners and everybody brings their own 
ideas to Bitcoin and tries to create their own analogies. And we love to talk in analogies and people bring, you know, uh, their experiences. And so it is interesting to bring, to, to have a mind like Eric Weinstein and, uh, and Lex Friedman come in with the, this, their physics backgrounds and, and talk about, uh, how Bitcoin and time and the, 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 sort of entanglement of the physical and the digital that Bitcoin represents uh, and, and give us words and language and context uh, and history, you know, historical thought that might apply to that idea is fascinating. Um, I'm going to take a moment here to play a clip from a movie called Waking Life. It's by Richard Linklater. Um, it's a really fascinating movie. It's very thought provoking and uh, really is just a collection of scenes of Richard uh, Richard's co conversations that he had had in his life, and he put it into this very interesting movie. He had uh, different artists uh, illustrate, uh, I guess, animate each scene. Uh, and so you'll see that uh, there's some very interesting art, artistic uh, applications to these ideas as well. But this particular clip, I think about a lot when I think of Bitcoin and Gigi's recent piece, Bitcoin is Time, uh, and the idea that you know, Bitcoin solves problems that are posed by relative time and physical space by creating absolute time and digital space and the crossover, like I just mentioned, between physical and digital um, with mining and, and energy, uh, you know, consumption, energy intake, and then sort of transferring that into digital value. Um, and and the idea of Bitcoin as, as, a, as a time chain, which Satoshi called it in uh, early versions of the code, um, it's really a... a, a a way to keep digital time uh, across space. So let's um, let's listen to this clip. It's a few minutes long, and uh, I think it'll be a good kind of jumping off point into talking more about how Bitcoin uh, will sort of fit into this thesis of, of exponential technological growth and, and evolution, exponentially increasing evolution of, of, of humanity. If we're looking at the highlights of human development, you have to look at the evolution of the organism and then at the development of its interaction with the environment. Evolution of the organism will begin with the evolution of life, proceed through uh, the hominid, coming to the evolution of mankind, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon man. Now, interestingly, what you're looking at here are three strains, biological, anthropological, development of cities, cultures, and culture, which is human expression. Now. What you've seen here is the evolution of populations, not so much the evolution of individuals. And in addition, if you look at the timescales that's involved here, two billion years for life, six million years for the hominid, 100,000 years for mankind as we know it, you, you're beginning to see the telescoping nature of the evolutionary paradigm. And then when you get to agriculture, when you get to scientific revolution and industrial revolution, you're looking at 10,000 years, 400 years, 150 years. You're seeing a further telescoping of this evolutionary time. What that means is that as we go through the new evolution, it's going to telescope to the point we should be able to see it manifest itself within our lifetime, within a generation. The new evolution stems from information, and it stems from two types of information, digital and analog. The digital is artificial intelligence. The analog results from molecular biology, the cloning of the organism, and you knit the two together with neurobiology. Before, under the old evolutionary paradigm, one would die and the other would grow and dominate. But under the new paradigm, they would exist as a mutually supportive, non-competitive grouping, okay, independent from the external. 
And what is interesting here is that evolution now becomes an individually centered process emanating from the needs and the desires of the individual and not an external process, a passive process where the individual is just at the whim of the collective. So you produce a neo-human, okay, with a new individuality, a new consciousness. But that's only the beginning of the evolutionary cycle because as the next cycle proceeds, the input is now this new intelligence. As intelligence piles on intelligence, as ability piles on ability, the speed changes. Until what? Until you reach a crescendo. In a way, could be imagined as an almost instantaneous fulfillment of human. Human and neo-human potential. It could be something totally different. It could be the amplification of the individual, the multiplication of individual existences, parallel existences. Now with the individual no longer restricted by time and space. And the manifestations of this neo-human type evolution, manifestations could be dramatically counterintuitive. That's the interesting part. The old evolution is cold, it's sterile, it's efficient, okay? And its manifestations are those of social adaptation. You're talking about parasitism, dominance, morality, okay? Uh, war, predation. These would be subject to de-emphasis. These would be subject to de-evolution. The new evolutionary paradigm would give us the human traits of truth, of loyalty, of justice, of freedom. These would be the manifestations of the new evolution. And that is what we would hope to see from this. That would be nice. Wow. Um, you, can, you can see the parallels in the Bitcoin there and the idea of a sovereign individual and the values, the idea of the values of, of Bitcoin uh, being instrumental to this kind of new evolution that we might be in the midst of now. Uh, Gigi, I know we've talked a little bit about this movie and this particular clip uh, and podcast a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I know that you have some thoughts about it. Um, what do you, how would you connect this to Bitcoin and to the future of our species? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting clip because I think um, uh, with a little bit of imagination, you can see that we are kind of living through that right now. And and I would argue that the distinction between uh, between the, the physical and the digital or the, the analog and the digital is a very important one. And with the inception of Bitcoin, we have started, uh, to, to use the term from the clip, the telescoping evolution of digital money. You know, like we, we, are, we are building the the base layer of, of digital value space, so to speak, with Bitcoin. And we can see it al already happening, how, how everything that is built on top of Bitcoin just evolves faster and faster and faster. And we see that with the Lightning Network and uh, stuff that is built on top of it. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, we see all kinds of developments that um, it, I think it will just be insanely hard to, to even keep up. I think that the time of the full-time Bitcoiner that kind of can make sense of everything that is happening in the space. I think 2021 will be kind of one of the last years where this is possible. I think <laughs> maybe it's already impossible and I'm just <laughs> I'm just uh, um, way too generous with the, the, the understanding and the oversight of some, some Bitcoiners. But I, I think we see it already fracturing in the lightning space and the mining space and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I, I think as a Bitcoiner listening to this clip, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to stress also that the digital evolution, so to speak, um, uh, as this professor points out, it, it is very different. Like uh, he also speaks of 
of a, a symbiosis that, that that will happen and um yeah how uh how the digital evolution is different from an analog evolution and i think i think this is kind of true and some aspects of the digital realm are underappreciated and and one that is often pointed out is for example that um perfect copies can only exist in the digital space like you can only have error correction if you if you have information in a digital format and that's that's what's so ingenious about dna and that's why dna the encoding of dna is is digital as well like you, you have these four base pairs and they do error correction on on this code so to speak and um i i would argue that there are some other things like absolute scarcity that can only be done in a digital space and i think this is what makes bitcoin and everything that will be built on top of it so insanely interesting because it's something that we never had before you know like it's 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 a it's a definite point in history where something entirely new was made and you can you can uh, say that about life as well you know like we don't really know how it started <laughs> but it, it it was the the invention of duplication of digital information that manifests itself in the analog realm and uh, it's only possible if you go digital and i think Absolute scarcity is also only possible if you go digital. And I, I, yeah, I can't wait what the next couple of years will bring. It, it, it will be very wild, and I think it will be very hard to, to keep up. John, you had not seen this clip before uh, we showed it. We talked about it just a, briefly before we started airing. So you're bringing a, a fresh mind to these ideas in this take. I, I, I mean, you, you've certainly thought about these ideas. These are, like I said, ideas that are not foreign to Bitcoiners who have been thinking deeply about this stuff. But um, your thoughts on this clip and the idea of just this telescoping evolution and where we are uh, in, in this kind of the timeline of this telescoping evolution. Yeah, I, th I think anyone in the world today that looks at the progress of history can see an acceleration, right? You know, as he mentioned, you know, <clears throat> certain revolutions take a hundred year, hundred thousand years and then 10,000, a thousand, a hundred. And, you know, there's lots of people out there that talk about that um, process, that unfolding process um, outside of the Bitcoin space as well. And it seems like it's kind of irrefutable. What seems to be happening is that we we continue to to develop resources to accelerate the feedback with which we analyze our behavior and the outcomes are, of our behavior. At least that that seems to be one part of them. You know, he mentioned in the in the clip, we'll kind of move away from let's say the the dirtier aspects of our human nature and focus more on on truth and honesty and cooperation. Or I can't remember the exact ones he mentioned, but truth was definitely one of them. And you know, that one that caused me to, to think like, <clears throat> why is that? Or is that, you know, and is that true? And one of the interesting things to, to take it back to uh, Peterson and Maps of Meaning is because I think <clears throat> I think one of our fundamental drives as human beings, and I it's it's tough to say that, right? Because every everyone is so different and you can easily avoid some of the larger questions in life, you know, for a variety of reasons. But I think there's a, a, you know, a very strong impulse for truth. And I think maybe one of the reasons for that is because there's a recognition, if not explicitly or semantically understood, but felt and literally built into how we evolved, that interacting with truth 
and then figuring out how best to interact with truth is the is the way to ensure the most likely optimal outcome you know so like or to give you the best chance of it at achieving the optimal outcome because if you're engaging with a watered down truth or a complete delusion then you know the structure that mediates outcomes generally call it god call it the structure of reality call it cause and effect call it physics whatever if you're if you're interacting with a version of that that's not true then you're you're more likely to not achieve an outcome whose success is predicated on those the very variables inherent in that thing if that makes any kind of sense and so i think part of the religious impulse as far as peterson describes it in his book is trying to ascertain a broader truth and then trying to understand what that broader truth is and in, in his book he he looks at the evolution and this is coming to the telescopic point of that clip he looks at the evolution of our our, our understanding of that and our engagement in the process of refining it. So at first, a lot of these um, ideas, let's call them, were embodied, right? Like we, we just, throughout hundreds of thousands or millions of years of evolution and social interaction, certain behaviors, certain values, certain principles, you know, rose to the top as being the most beneficial synthesis of optimal outcome for individual, optimal outcome for collective. Um, and so these were embodied and our nervous system in many ways is even wired for these things. And then as time went on, they became, you know, more semantically understood. So like we, we actually came to understand by observing ourselves what these things were. And then once they were in the realm of our, let's say, conscious mind, then we could kind of look at them and play with them. We could say, okay, you know, like the, these behaviors or these values or these principles, if we rejig them, reorder them, what's the kind of outcome that we can create? You know, how can we play with these different quote unquote spirits or archetypes or aspects of ourselves to learn about ourselves without having to actually act it out, right? And this is kind of the idea of how can we have our ideas war so that we don't actually have to war in the physical realm and put our our physical bodies on the line. And, and I think this is, broadly speaking, the process of, of technology is trying to ascertain truth, engage with it, and then observe it to try to accelerate that process and extract even more benefit from it. Whether we term benefit, you know, benefit can, is subjective, but novelty seems to be one of the things we try to extract from it M you know more creation let's say and um and so you know that's what technology is doing we come up with all these things to try to extract more from reality extract more novelty from reality um and i think a part of our doing that beyond education beyond entertainment beyond convenience is continuing this kind of drilling down a refinement toward an understanding of truth, both broadly and um, like a, acutely described or acutely understood. And um, so, you know, I, that's what I took from that clip of, of the, the telescopic component. And it, it certainly seems that that process is accelerating. And so what does that process accelerating mean 
for our, in develop our development as the ones who are both affected by and contributing to that very process. You know, what, what elements, what aspects of who we are and our personalities and our behavior do we leave behind? Which ones are we able to leave behind? Uh, and which ones, as a result, come to the front? Which ones get amplified as a result of being able to leave others behind? You know, a simple one within the Bitcoin network is, um, and this is talked about a lot, but the the quote-unquote logic of violence. Like, how does the fact that you can retain the entirety, effectively, of your wealth in your mind as a as a vestige of your consciousness and not extent any uh, anywhere else what does that mean for the importance and the utility of violence in society and i think many of us would agree we're not talking about utopia here we're not talking about the elimination of violence or the violent impulse or the aggressive impulse but we are saying is that the incentive of using violence to acquire things is diminished because you can't just knock me over the head and take my gold take my camera take whatever physical thing that is you want from me, I have to be involved in the process of giving it to you. So that's, you know, a fairly obvious in my mind change of how technology either dials up or dials down different aspects of our quote unquote nature. So the real interesting question to me after watching a clip like that, a clip like that, and of course, you know, thinking about it more generally is what are the technologies that we're developing and that we're feeding into and that we're using to, you know, both facilitate something in our lives, but are, but inevitably also inform us about who we are, which behaviors and aspects are they ratcheting up and turning down? And is that a process that we can consciously engage in? Are we just kind of along for the ride? I don't know, but I certainly think that Bitcoin is a technology that allows us to leave behind some of the probably more you know less desirable aspects of ourselves and lean into some of the more desirable de desirable aspects of ourselves and if we do that as a collective i think we continue to inch toward you know a, a better world whether that's more peaceful more prosperous uh more interesting more with more with greater connection you know who knows but i, I think there's a it causes a separation between uh aspects of ourselves and um you know that that's what i took from that clip and that's a real interesting component of this rapid technological development in my mind yeah and i and i think i think bitcoin's an accelerant right this is these technologies uh, piling up on one another and accelerating our evolution um and I think Bitcoin's accelerating that. It's the idea that this new evolution stems from information, right? That our evolution is no longer limited to the physical realm, to the competition of of genes in a physical realm, and and even of ideas uh, that are that are like retained or uh, anchored to the physical realm, like you're saying, John, where you have to put your physical body in defense of those ideas, right? Um, now it's more, it's easier for us to kind of battle those things out in this informational realm and, and, and not limited by time because of the internet or space because of the internet. Uh, and, and now Bitcoin's doing that same thing that the internet has done to language and information transfer in general, idea transfer in general to wealth and money transfer, which I think is another fundamental language uh, of humanity. Uh, and so it's, it, we're at, what's fascinating is that 
we are living at the elbow of this asymptote, right? Both for Bitcoin, but also just for this telescopic evolution. And uh, you know, this this information age has lasted 30 years. The you know, industrial age is wait maybe 150 years, right? And now we're getting technologies like like Bitcoin, where we have a new monetary age, um, and that's only you know taken 12 years so far. And you can see how how dominant Bitcoin has already become. And so it's because it's built on these exponential technology stack of them um so what's fascinating to me is that this is just another step in this evolution of humanity that we're that's based on information now and is freed from the physical realm and is being so much faster than any of us can understand right we always talk about humans not being and exponentials and we talk about how surprising because of that bitcoin is going to be and and it's you know appreciation and value etc but it's broader than that it's it's larger than that it's the appreciation of where we are as a species and where we are going as a species very 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 quickly uh, and i think conversations that we're having like this and that bitcoin helps inspire and conversations that i you know i'm looking forward to you guys having and and us bitcoiners in general participating in with you know, thought leaders and other domains of, of human ideas uh, to really try to understand where we're going and somehow prepare ourselves for it. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think that, like Gigi was saying, we're on this wave, right? Um, and we're sort of riding the crest of it. And it's hard to prepare. Uh, and it is certainly exhilar exhilarating and surreal. Uh, but we are, you know, we're, we're human. So we're trying to do the best we can with these um, these physically evolved brains of ours in this new, you know, information-driven evolution time that we're in. Yeah, and I'd like to tag on to something that John has said that um, it's it's always like, yeah, we have this human nature, but it's definitely shaped, and uh, sometimes uh, different aspects of it are emphasized by technologies. And I think we see this currently in our society. And in short, I, I think when when studying Bitcoin and uh, the history of money, I think it becomes kind of obvious that our society is spoiled by the printing press. And uh, this loops back into something that Peterson talks a lot about as well, which is responsibility and this especially taking personal responsibility. And just society in general, um, especially the central banks, they, like the current central bank policies, they, they don't take personal responsibilities for their actions. Like it's <laughs> it's very similar to the story that, that Peterson sometimes tells about the, a skit of, of The Simpsons where where Homer Simpson is like downing uh, like a bottle of vodka and a glass of mayonnaise and um, someone else is telling him you shouldn't do that like that's horrible you'll you'll have the worst hangover of your life and he is like yeah that's a problem for a future Homer to figure out you know and that's basically what that our society is doing um, collectively and and most of our society, I would argue, unknowingly you know like we print money and print money and print money and we um john was also talking about extracting value from the world and printing more money does not extract more value that's just a lie so so it doesn't matter if you could call it quantitative easing or or whatever you you call it it's it's simply an economic lie it doesn't align with economic reality and what what i think is so interesting to observe and what uh, is what john uh, explored in in a lot of detail on his podcast is how small changes in the technology that you use change you completely. And I would also argue that small changes like 
it, as we saw in 1971, moving off from the gold standard changes society completely. And um, we all know, of course, the website, what the fuck happened in 1971. And it, it just shows that these small changes that might seem small when you're not when you aren't thinking about them deeply, they have a large effect on society. And yeah, I, I think it's it's just Bitcoin forces you to take responsibility. As we all know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, and not your node, not your rules. Mm-hmm. And the printing presses kind of do the opposite. You know, it 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 delays <laughs> responsibility. It, it it delays the taking of responsibility to the to the future. We just generate more money, and and we will repay this debt sometime in the future. Our our kids and the kids of our kids and like <laughs> our grandchildren, fifteen generations generations forward will repay that somewhat. And I yeah, I'm 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 really excited to see if this will be true in a couple of years from now as well that. Uh, Bitcoin will continue to force responsibility upon the individual. I think if we want to stay true to the Bitcoin ethos, and if we want to, if we want to make sure that the values that are embedded in Bitcoin remain true, then it has to be this way. We we all like every every single individual that adopts the Bitcoin standard has to take also has to take on the personal responsibility of taking self-custody, running your own note, and just everything that tags onto that as well. You know, like you have to up your digital security, probably you might want to upgrade your physical security as well. You, there, there are some, there are some things that are related to that. And it will be very exciting to see in the, in the next couple of years, if this remains to be true and how all of this plays out and also how it changes society potentially. Yeah, if I could jump in there on, on that point, I totally agree with Gigi. But it's there's two things. One, we talk even as much as we talk about this, we are so wrapped up in this thing, whether we're talking about the changes that Bitcoin inspires or the broader technological telescoping that we're seeing. I mean, it's it's so hard to really grasp what's going on. Um, but I, you know, like Gigi said, I love to explore on the podcast. Like I've talked to people that They've been in Bitcoin for less than six months, and they've kind of entirely reoriented their life uh, in very beneficial ways. And so, give and we're six months. You know, when we're talking first on the scale of a hundred thousand years and ten thousand, a thousand, a hundred, like that is a very short period of time. And to know that we're in the presence of something with sufficient, to use. Peterson's terms from the book, motivational valence or significance for meaning, that it inspires that type of dramatic and rapid change, we know we're in the shit, you know, we know we're in something really, uh, really special, uh, especially because I think the the changes are so positive. But another thing that Gigi said um, with, and we, we could spend hours talking about central banks, but one of the critical pieces of that, that sovereignty, that logos, that ability for us to choose our own fate and just, you know, make our own choices and to be in charge of our own will effectively. Um, Peterson uh, explores this through the lens of the sacrifices that occur or that, you know, that are almost paramount within the, the religious stories. And, you know, one of the ones that he he uses, or may, this may be the ultimate example of this in the religious stories is, um, I think it's Jacob and his son, Isaac, but in any case, um, 
you know, basically God has told Jacob, you know, to make the, you know, as much sacrifices as he can. And so one day he's, and he's made all sorts of sacrifices and he takes an ax and he takes, uh, you know, I think some wood and some matches and stuff. And he brings his son up to this altar and he doesn't really say what's going on. He said, well, we're going to go, uh, you know, cook a lamb or something like that. And he, and he puts his son on the altar to, sh to sh symbolize the degree to which he's willing to sacrifice to align with quote unquote God, to align with, you know, providence or a better future. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to say that for people to get hung up on the religious component of this, but the reason why I bring it up is because determining what your sacrifices in life are going to be on every scale and on every time scale and on, on every scale of significance is pretty much what we're talking about when we're talking about will and when we're talking about decision making and when we're talking about hierarchy and meaning and deciding what to do in in economic terms we can call it opportunity cost right the cost of doing one thing is everything else you could have done right so it means something really is very meaningful to choose to do something because it comes at the expense of everything else you could have done um and that's how you navigate your world of course but what what central banks and, and the co-option of the money supply has done, especially with all this, their manipulation of the interest rate, is they've made the sacrifice of the future for you, right? By, by let's say, bringing forward all this uh, consumption by lowering the interest rate and levering up on all this debt, they've taken the, the ability to sacrifice, at least on a certain level, from the individual, and they've decided it. And what they've done is they've sacrificed a huge portion of the future in, in deference to the present, which is the exact opposite of what a lot of these mythological and religious stories try to articulate or communicate in that, you know, you should, I don't want to say you should, but there, there's, a, there's a wisdom there that says, um, first, be careful of, your, of the sacrifices you make, and two, um, you know, delay gratification effectively because there's a benefit in doing that. And again, we see represented in the changes uh, in a lot of Bitcoiners is a quote, again, economic terminology, lowering of time preference, right? Delaying gratification. Now that may be because of the opportunity cost of spending money now where you could be stacking sats and you know, and you want to derive the benefit from doing that in the future. Or it could take, it could be for other motivations. Um, but I just think that's another one of those egregious uh, infringements on our own ability to make our own choices, to make our own sacrifices that central banks uh, have foisted upon us in the modern world. And Bitcoin uh, is a method of counteracting that. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. If I may, I, I'd like to very quickly tag onto that and uh, what you said about um, the importance of, of struggle. And I think that's the that's one of the main differences of the fiat mindset and the Bitcoin mindset. In in the fiat mindset, as we've said before, you know, um, it, it it seems to me that that the myth is believed that you can extract value without any struggle, and as, as a result, it, it seems to me that society has become soft and irresponsible. And um, a, a friend of mine, he, he likes to use a word a lot, uh, which is malaka. I, I won't translate that now, but it derives from the Greek word malakos. 
and I think it's just perfect because um, it, it means that someone is soft or spoiled or well used to the luxury luxuries of life. And that's exactly what our society has become. We, we put in a lot of hard work and sacrifices to build what we have. And, and now without putting in the extra work, we, we kind of want to remain at the status quo and even remain at the current rate of growth even. And we try to do it by printing money. And it's, it's it's really it, it just doesn't work and i think the way that bitcoin operates and also what bitcoin has realized by delaying gratification by lowering time preference by adopting radical responsibility is that you you have to make sacrifices and you have to struggle and and you have to aim single-mindedly at something to produce something of value and to make everything work and i i think yeah the the transformations that that come with that can't be overstated. And I think that the hardest thing of getting into Bitcoin and understanding Bitcoin deeply is dropping this fiat mindset. It's really, really difficult to, to change your ways and, and kind of adopt this responsibility because it's also really, really hard. And it, it is definitely a struggle. But um, it, I think all the individuals and the society in general will be better for it. You're muted, Brady. Totally, I totally agree with all of that, guys, um, and what you are both saying. I think it's um, just a fascinating time to be a human being and that we just need to keep having these conversations to try to prepare ourselves for what's coming up. Um, and speaking of preparing for what's coming up, John, I wanted to finish up on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, what's going on with the 100K party? <laughs> what's, what's the latest? I, I wish I had an update for you. I'm, I've been uh, dragging my heels, I guess, I'm, or not wanting to get ahead of my skis. So um, just been waiting and, and seeing how close we get. And, uh, you know, the list I, there's a, the list is maybe being populated, but no formal invites have been sent out yet um, because there's still a lot of Bitcoiners to come into the space between now and 100K, perhaps. And I, I, want, it, I want it to be uh, fair, but uh, it certainly seems like it's on the horizon. So... Uh, we yeah. may have to start. We may have to start coordinating that soon. Is Sailor ready to just throw down whenever it happens? Because uh, obviously we can't time the market. So, or is this going to be something like, you know, after we're well past, or just we cross it once and we schedule it? What's what's going to? I, I go think down? it'll probably be like we hit 100k, and I'll message him and being like, all right, so when's this party going down? And he'll be like, yeah. in a month's time, and I'll be like, all right, cool, I'll send out the invites, and then. We'll have a party yeah. in a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, uh, John had Michael Saylor on his show and uh, asked him about uh, if he would host the 100K party on air, which was just a fantastic move. And uh, and Saylor, uh, you know, being the uh, good-natured dude that he is, uh, accepted uh, the invite to, to host the party. Uh, so uh, that's going to be fascinating, man. It's going to be uh, one for the ages. Uh, I so... think it's going to be a good goddamn time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, so okay, well that's fun. It, it, it's this space is is always is always fun. It's always fun. We get to wake up every day and just have a lot of fun. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Always good to catch up. Uh, let's do it again soon. And uh, just any last words from you guys? to uh you know for our audience to reflect upon or where to find you perhaps 
Uh, yeah, sure. I'll go first. I'm Dergigi on Twitter. Um, you can follow along with all the escapades that happen on Bitcoin Twitter. Um, I'm also doing my best to struggle towards writing my second book, 21 Ways. Um, you can follow along on Patreon with that. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just... I'm also hanging out on Clubhouse from time to time, uh, hanging around uh, with the Swan crew, of course. And um, yeah, if... if, <laughs> if like I, I always say at, at the end of podcasts now, if if you kind of need a kick in the kick in the butt to to do something in the space or to write something or to write a write a software or start a podcast or talk to someone or start a meetup, just go ahead and do it. Like you, you never know what comes of it. You know, just uh, case in point, the conversation we had today um, came out of of John's podcast and, and the book, uh, uh, book club and just reading and discussing a book and. Just go ahead. Bitcoin doesn't wait for anybody, and hyperbitcoinization will happen in any case. So might might as well get acquainted with Bitcoin now and <laughs> adopt the adopt the responsibility <laughs> that comes with a Bitcoin standard rather sooner than later. Might as well learn some in case it catches on. Uh, John, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't have nothing nothing to shill. I just want to say first, Gigi, I'm insanely pumped for the book to come out. Uh, I'd love for you to give us. A date or an estimate so i can uh, keep it uh, the countdown going on the calendar um and brady what you're doing with the signal and your podcast and at swan it's it's awesome to see you guys are doing incredible work and honestly i'm, I'm just eternally grateful for being able to have conversations like this i get to jam with you guys and we get to talk about the, you know i think concepts and ideas that we probably have always been interested in but one they Bitcoin cause to converge and bring a lot of these threads together, which is like super intellectually stimulating. And then we get to find our people all over the world who, you know, yeah. kind of had that, you know, light bulb moment as well. And what could be better than that as we push forward on something that's insanely beneficial for individuals and for the world. So like I'm, you know, I'm grateful every day and I love hanging out with you guys and uh, I hope we do it again soon. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. I will wrap this show up now. Thanks again, everyone, for being here today. Uh, own your future. That's what I've been uh, showing on the screen here during this whole episode. Uh, and I think it's a concept that we really need to take it, take to heart. And I think it gets at the idea of uh, personal responsibility, of uh, being able to take a stake in the future that we're building here. And we just discussed about today, which is coming at us uh, faster and faster. And, uh, you know, we're living through it right now. Uh, we talk about hyper Bitcoinization. Uh, we're, we're also living in this sort of, I don't know, hyper neo humanization, if we're going to take a phrase from the waking life clip that we watched today. Uh, so own your future, buy some Bitcoin, you know, get a little bit in case it catches on, which it clearly is learn a little bit in case it continues to catch on, which we all clearly think it will go to swanbitcoin.com set up an account, uh, start putting in a little bit, get a little skin in the game, learn about what's going on here. And uh, you know, the, the more you learn, the more you understand, the more conviction you grow, the more you'll be willing to store more of your wealth in the Bitcoin protocol. Um, also, if you, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of you watching now may already have Swan accounts uh, or are already Bitcoiners. Uh, if even if you're not a, a member of Swan or you're st not stacking with Swan, you can still be a member of the Swan Force, and you can stack Sats for recruiting new Bitcoiners, referring new Bitcoiners. So I know a lot as this number is going up, and uh, you know it should be uh, continuing to do so uh, in the coming months. 
a lot of your family and friends are going to be coming to you, your coworkers saying, hey, you're the Bitcoin guy. I know you've talked about this thing before. Uh, what is what's going on with it? And it's, you know, it, it seems to be really interesting. It's not gone yet. It's been around for a while. I keep hearing about it. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash enlist and join the Swan Force. It's a really simple sign up process. And uh, you'll get a custom URL and be swanbitcoin.com slash Brady, for instance, or slash Gigi. Uh, and you'll get a little, you know, your avatar will be up there at the top. You can put a little quote in and people you'll you'll welcome your friends and family to Swan. Uh, they will get $10 of Bitcoin dropped in their account to make their first Bitcoin purchase. And you will earn 25% of all of Swan's fees uh on uh every purchase they make for three years so that can really add up uh we are getting roughly 15 20 percent of new accounts coming through our referral program we're adding 100 new swan force members every day uh that number of uh, customers coming through referrals are really going up so people are stacking sats we have some of our highest uh you know our largest uh Swan Force members are stacking you, you know, just very, very like life-changing amounts of sats here. Uh, so you can do the same, even if it's just a little bit in 10, 15, 20 years, it'll be worth a lot, a lot. And uh, you might as well get a little uh, credit, get a little payment uh, for the work that you've put in to understand Bitcoin and to be able to, you know, relate it, relay it and describe it to your friends and family. So swanbitcoin.com slash enlist, join the Swan Force, own your future, grab a little Bitcoin, help others in your life own their futures as well. That's it for this week. Join us next Tuesday. See you then. Thank you to John and Gigi for joining me today. You can find John on Twitter at John K. Vallis. That's J-O-H-N-K-V-A-L-L-I-S. Also check out his podcast, Bitcoin Rapid Fire. And you'll find Gigi on Twitter at Dergigi, D-E-R, G-I-G-I, and also check out his book, 21 Lessons at 21lessons.com. I am at Citizen Bitcoin on Twitter, and you'll find Swan at Swan Bitcoin. On behalf of the Swan team, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Swan Signal podcast. It's a lot of fun to join us live on the YouTube broadcasts every Tuesday, usually at 2 p.m. Eastern time at youtube.com slash swansignal. Head over there right now, subscribe, turn on the notifications. We publish a lot of great Bitcoin content and another show every Friday as well. We have a lot of fun in the live chat. Uh, so if you can join us on those live broadcasts, uh, hang out in the chat, and we often can work in questions from listeners. While you're there on the YouTube channel, check out Bitcoin TV at bitcointv.network. We're also right there on the YouTube channel. It is a 24-7 stream of the best Bitcoin content available on the web. New fresh content is coming to Bitcoin TV soon. You can subscribe to this podcast if you're not already at swansignalpodcast.com. Swan Signal is a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin in the United States.